Hello, you are listening to the Plumfield Moms, and this is Plumfield in Person. Hi, I'm Diane Pendergraft, and I'm here with Sarah Masaryk, and we're going to do something really special today, special to us. Um, we have some guests that you've never heard before. We have Anna with us, and Marietta, and Magdalena, and Greta. So friends, today we've brought together some of my most favorite people. These are some of my beloved girls from book clubs, and we have done years worth of book clubs together. And today's book club is going to be like a really different kind of conversation than we normally have. Ours are usually about two hours and minimum, and they kind of go all over the place. And isn't there food involved? There's always food, yes. <laughs> yeah. Where were the cookies? <laughs> One of the great gifts of our book clubs over the years is that we've gotten to know each other so well that we can sort of anticipate about each other. And also we build on all of the things we've talked about with each other. So this one won't be a neat and tidy, this is the Wednesday Wars. It's going to be kind of a, a conversation that goes all over the place. But I thought it was important that you maybe know how old each of these girls are. So starting with the youngest, Greta, how old are you? I am 14, so rising freshman in high school. And where do you go to school? At our kitchen table with mom. <laughs> so you're homeschooled. Okay, good. <laughs> Anna, how old are you and where do you go to school? I am 16, a rising junior at Chesterton Academy of Green Bay. And you have done both homeschool and classical school. So you've, got, you've gotten both experiences, right? Yes. Yes, I have. Excellent. Magdalena, how old are you? I'm 18, and I go to school at Wyoming Catholic College in Wyoming. And where were you schooled before you became a college student? At the kitchen table. <laughs> homeschooled and Marietta I'm 21 I'm a rising junior at Wyoming Catholic College and I was I was homeschooled I don't know what y'all are saying about this kitchen table because I had a desk <laughs> I was homeschooled that's awesome <laughs> and so friends these ladies and I have done a whole bunch of book clubs. We've done book clubs with that are mixed gender. We've had guys and gals together. And we did um, a whole series of ladies literary teas. And so today in our conversation, we've also recorded some chat about Jane Austen, which will air at a different time as a little mini episode because we girls love our Jane Austen. <laughs> it's one of our capital cities, right, ladies? Austin land. Can't have book club without Jane Austen. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we had to do this one with these girls mm -hmm. because it's it is Magdalena's fault that we have fallen down deep down into the Gary D. Schmidt rabbit hole. We are loving Gary D. Schmidt. Uh, for years, I had only read The Wednesday Wars and okay for now. And then I kind of stopped. You know, I was busy. I had other stuff to do. I was like, those are brilliant. But I'm good. That's all I need. Moving on, moving right along. And then I begged you for a while. And you were like, eh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I'm really that excited. And you started the Wednesday Wars. And you're like, mm. you got to how far? January. And you got to January. And? I was tired of it. The middle school boy 
silliness, the rats and the cream puffs. Enough of the cream puffs. <laughs> <laughs> and so you were kind of like, Meh, do I really have to finish this? Yeah. But I said I would. Yeah. I was also really busy. There was a lot of other things going on. I just, yeah, yeah I was, Fair. it kind of wore me out. So, but I had said I would read it. And until I was done, I had, couldn't really say anything about it. So I finished it. And I didn't want to encourage you too much to read it. Cause if you weren't going to like it, I kind of didn't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> so you finished Wednesday Wars and then what? Well, it wasn't right away, but we talked about it and decided that we needed to see what came next. And you had already read Okay for Now and liked it. Mm -hmm. So I read it and mm -hmm. thought it was amazing. I also read mm -hmm. um, Pay Attention Carter Jones and thought that was really good. I think I read that one in between. That was the curveball, right? Mm -hmm. Because so you read Wednesday Wars and you said, okay, fine. We'll do some things with it. It's okay. But once you really got into it, you found that you really loved it, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Well, yeah. I could see the brilliance of it and the structure of it what he was doing with the Shakespeare part. And then I wanted yeah. to go see if he maintained that through some of the other books. So I read Pay Attention, Carter Jones, and he did. So then I went ahead and did okay for now, and it was even better. And now we're uh, waiting for each other so that we can read <laughs> just like that at the same time. Because I am almost done with Hercules, and you just finished Hercules. Right. And I tried to read What Came from the Stars. I put it down. That one I didn't like. What we find is that we tend to like the middle school boy motif with Gary D. Schmidt. <laughs> Which is a little weird. middle school boys. <laughs> yeah, it sounds a little weird. But hey, we're, we're a boy mom uh, podcast and a boy mom blog. So maybe that makes sense. He really, really writes ordinary middle school boys extraordinarily well. And finds the part of them that isn't so ordinary and puts the right adult in their pathway or several to or, se or several to draw out the genius of that particular child in that particular place like Doug Zwiatek in the Wednesday Wars <clears throat> Doug Zwiatek in okay for now <gasps> oh <laughs> right <laughs> mm -hmm. so so we are loving Gary D Schmidt Magdalena thank you for making me read the Wednesday Wars. Well, you're welcome. <laughs> Mags, how did you discover the Wednesday Wars? Sarah McKenzie. So she she had like a list of best summer books or something. And I just went through them in middle school. There was like a Round Girl Dreaming was one of them. Moon Over Manifest, a couple others. And then the Wednesday Wars. And I just cried at two different parts in it and I'd never cried during a book before except for where the red fern grows <laughs> um and so I was just like I loved it and then I got okay for now from the library book sale mm -hmm. and it was kind of like because there was abuse yeah. in it mm -hmm. it was like a bad book so I snuck it into my room <laughs> and I was like I can't tell my mom I have this <laughs> like she, she read the ones who was and loved it but she couldn't know about okay for now so I read that one on my own and then I told her you can't ever read this there are children in danger like <laughs> you would hate it but she actually loves it so of course she does so you couldn't let your mom know that you read okay for now but you can read Flannery O'Connor with your mom yeah okay got it hey Flannery O'Connor doesn't have as many children in danger as Gary D. Schmidt does true true very good point 
Meg should tell about writing him, writing Gary D. Schmidt, the man himself. So tell us about your pen pal relationship with Gary D. Schmidt. Oh, I would say we're just friends. Definitely just friends. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, well, so I, my mom, when she was younger, wrote Lloyd Alexander, mm-hmm. as you know, um, because she loved his book so much and told him that she loved his book so much. And he wrote her back and they had this like pen pal relationship for years. And he would send her like each new book with his, his signature, like as it came out. Um, and so that was very inspiring to me. And um, so I wrote a letter to Garrity Schmidt. Uh, I don't know how old I was, but it was very pretentious. <laughs> it's a terrible letter, but he wrote back. Um, he hand wrote back and um, he recommended several books and he recommended when I was older, Flannery O'Connor. Actually. Oh, yay. Um, yeah, he said, wait a couple years, but then start with Revelation. And uh, I think that is what I started with. (laughs) But yeah, and then sort of on and off, I've written him and he's written back and it's been pretty cool. Oh, that's amazing. Now, which of Gary D. Schmidt's books have you read? I've read Lizzie Bright, um, Wednesday Wars, Okay for Now, Just Like That, Carter Jones, um, there's got to be something else. You haven't read Hercules yet, have you? No, I can't find it anywhere. I know, it's brand new. I live in a backwater. <laughs> yeah, we, we've only been able to get it on Kindle and, uh, well, Diane, you got it on Kindle, right? Yes. And I have it on Audible. But it's, like, expensive and hard to get on, you know, in print. But I'm going to for the library because it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. You All will right. love it. It's, it's the labors of Hercules. How can you not love it? So what have your letters with Gary D. Schmidt been like? Has he, I mean, he recommended Flannery O'Connor. Any other nuggets you can share? They were sort of, they were spaced like a couple of years apart. In fact, it's about time that I write him another one. Yeah. Because I haven't yet ranted about just like that. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, he needs to hear it. He needs to explain himself. Friends, we're going to be talk, kind of going all over the map with Gary D. Schmidt here today. This is about the Wednesday Wars, but there's, there's, I mean, Wednesday Wars is kind of the way into Gary D. Schmidt and there's a whole lot of places to go. Did you catch, Megs, in Carter Jones that the principal's wife? Yeah. Isn't that fun? We won't spoil for people. But one of the things Diane and I have enjoyed, because in Hercules, the homeroom teacher is Lieutenant Colonel Danny Hupfer. So for friends listening, that's one of the characters in the Wednesday Wars. (laughs) So it's really been fun watching that Gary D. Schmidt seems to have, in terms of his middle school boy books, he seems to have two sets of books, ones that are set in the 60s and then ones that are set in the 2000s. And the kids from the 60s make an appearance in the books set in the 2000s, sometimes big, sometimes small. In Hercules, Huffner is a major character in the book versus in um, Carter Jones, Swiatek is a tiny character in the book just a mention but just a mention, but i think yeah. it's important to know that you can pick up any one of them and enjoy the story without knowing those connections there it's not a series that you have to start at the beginning you should you can go anywhere <laughs> yes so marietta did you ever read these when mags was reading them i read the wednesday wars because Mag said we all had to. <laughs> she said I had to and Mama had to and Joe had to. I think everybody yeah. read it. Everybody? It was mandatory. Yeah. It yeah. was a mandatory book. <laughs> um, 
that's honestly the only Gary D. Schmidt I've read so far. Every time Maggie reads another one, she's like, you have to read this one. Or she'll read just like that and say, you don't read like, don't ever read this. Okay. This is a cop out. It's on my summer reading list. (laughs) (laughs) And it's been there for the past, like three years. All, you know, specifically okay for now. Yeah. Um, Several of his other books. I'm going to read them before I die. (laughs) (laughs) At some point. Yes. Um, yeah, I mostly just, I, I watch in awe as Mags has an actual relationship with a living author and like reads all his books and I have to find something else to make me special. <laughs> oh, I think you're plenty special. <laughs> oh, thanks. You are. <laughs> well, I, I have to say, okay, for now has a real depth to it that I think you will really love, Marietta. I do. And yeah. Carter Jones is just happy. I mean, in it's a, not. Yeah, in a really is. tragic way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. As, as you said, you're like, it's just happy. And I was like, I've only read one Schmidt book, but I can't imagine him doing happy. Right. And then you said, in a tragic way. And I was like, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've read the happiest Schmidt book. Oh, gosh. The Wednesday Wars is honestly, I mean, it's it's high stakes for Collings' personality and character. Right. But it's not as outside world high stakes as okay for now as as lizzie bright lizzie bright is very high stakes oh okay (laughs) yeah i it's painful because it's really real yes and i'm not always sure how much reality i want in my books when i'm actually living in reality yeah and maybe that's a terrible thing to say No, because i know exactly what you mean by that and there's there can be too much reality i don't need to read it while i'm living it That was one of the reasons why Diane wasn't thrilled about the Wednesday Wars. As as you always say, Diane, I lived in the 60s. I don't need to go back to the 60s. (laughs) I'm happy to have that in the rear view. And what we see in Gary D. Schmidt's characters is that they are really wrestling with very real world issues. But I think he does it in a way that inspires courage because the, the kids respond with heroic virtue according to their means. You know, they're as heroic as they are capable of being. And usually that heroism and courage comes from really good adults who inspire that in them and give them a place to explore who they really are. And so I find that very compelling. Right. And it's not the kids hanging out there all by themselves. Um, We're not going to tell the adults how we feel. We don't need any help from them because we're smarter than they are. They need the adults. Right. Exactly. Now, I have a question. Mm -hmm. Did all of you girls participate in an in-person book discussion on Wednesday Wars? Did we never do Wednesday Wars or did Anna not? I thought we did. I I don't know. I might have been gone for that, maybe. I feel like we were going to and didn't. Oh, okay. Maybe we just talked about doing it so much that I thought we did it. Yeah, exactly. I, ha- I don't have a clear memory of whether or not we did it. I feel like we've not given it the attention it's due. Well, we're going to fill in the gaps in your life now. <laughs> so, Anna, Anna, now you've got your book club. <laughs> so, no, Anna, when is the first time you read this book? So, we'd had it in our Audible library for, I think my mom got it for my older brother. Oh. Um. And then I just decided to listen to it randomly, and it I don't have a clear memory of the first time okay. I read it. Okay. 
I've also read Okay for Now, and that's much more memorable for <laughs> me. And then I went back and read The Wednesday Wars uh, a couple years ago, and I really liked it. Mm. So I can't remember the first time, but the second time was much more memorable. Fascinating. Okay. Now, why was Okay for Now more memorable for you? I feel like the the story is, there's just a lot more there, or maybe I wasn't paying attention the first time I read The Wednesday Wars as much. It's, a, and it's an interesting thing you say that the story is just a lot more there. I think that is one of Diane's and my things with Wednesday Wars as well, as it feels like it kind of meanders a bit, whereas Okay For Now feels like it's on a really strong trajectory. Like it feels like everything is necessary versus Wednesday Wars. It is, I do think it's brilliant, but maybe a little more, a little less developed. Hauling, everything that happens to him is so intense because that's how he takes it. But you don't feel Mm -hmm. like, oh, wow, this is serious. He's got some heavy problems in his life till maybe the end. But in then in OK for now, there's some serious stuff there going on. Yes. From the get go, Mm -hmm. right away from the first chapter. I think what you said about hauling like the things in his life seeming bigger because of how like a middle schooler is so engrossed in their own emotions and kind of blowing it up a little bit. And that's what makes the storyline, at least in the first half of Wednesday Mm -hmm. Wars, is very Mm -hmm. true. Yes. So I think maybe it feels like there's more to the actual reality of the story in OK for Now. Maybe that's Mm -hmm. what it is, like you were saying. Well, Although, in Hauling's defense, not against Okay for Now or anything, because I haven't read it, but in Hauling's defense, um, I really relate to the whole, like, emotions making everything a really big deal. So that's kind of something I liked in The Wednesday Wars. I am not in middle school, for the record. <laughs> but I, I still was like, no, I, I really get this. Like, the fact, this is a, this is a massive deal right here. Mm-hmm. Really big deal. <laughs> I remember hearing somewhere... I think Gary Schmidt saying in some interview that it was like in the Wednesday Wars, the problems, the big problems are kind of outside in the world. Like he's always watching news of the war and he's got his own like growth going on, but not so much problems. Right. Whereas in okay for now, the problems are inside his family and inside himself. Right. And he doesn't like check on the war every evening because like the war is what's going on inside of him. Yes. Oh, that's so true. It is an internal war for him for sure. Well, in in Wednesday Wars, there is some stuff going on inside their family, but they don't see it. They've they've covered it up, and everybody's pretending yeah. like it's perfect. They live in the perfect mm-hmm. house with the per- perfect azaleas along the perfect sidewalk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just want to take a moment to do a little bit of podcast business. So we've spent a few minutes now kind of talking a little bit about Gary D. Schmidt generally, and we really probably need to have just a very concerted, focused episode on Gary D. Schmidt and our thoughts about him, Diane. But for purposes of this, this is where if you're totally unaware of Gary D. Schmidt, this is a great way to sort of say, okay, this is somebody I might or might not be interested in learning more about, but now we're going to move into the book club. And at this point of the book club, it's all spoilers. So if you don't want any spoilers, now is the perfect time to turn off your device and save this until another time. If you are interested in reading this book or you have read it, just remember that we can discuss, we will be discussing this book in the BiblioGuides online community, which is a mighty network, totally free. Anybody can join in and chat with us there. 
So here forward, we're going to talk about the Wednesday Wars specifically, and we're going to have spoilers. And so there's no need to kind of be careful about what we say. We're just going to go after it. So there we go. So girls, now that we just talked a little bit about Gary D. Schmidt generally, I wanted to say that I'm talking specifically about the Wednesday Wars, but really all of his books that I've read so far, they're in that middle school genre. They're not really middle school books, are they? Or yet they are. They're innocent like middle school books, but the matters are not necessarily middle school level. What do you think about that? How do you feel about that? Yeah, I mean, I would agree that they're definitely, I mean, people say like the best kids books are the ones that parents can also appreciate. And I remember it feeling so serious the first time I read The Wednesday Wars and then reading it again just now in preparation for this, um, thinking this is much simpler than I remember, like the writing style Uh, itself and much more childish than I remember, but it still really resonates the way it did on a deeper level like with the same scenes making me feel the same way yeah yeah it's such an interesting thing that you're saying right that the writing style is simplistic and accessible but not stupid or not dumbed down Mm -hmm. just accessible appropriate to that age group but dealing with really serious content really thoughtful things one of the things diane and i often say is that while we hope that what's going on in the home, in Holling's home, in Doug's Wyatek's home, in other homes like them, we hope that this isn't happening everywhere. But the reality is it's happening in lots of places. And so there are probably lots of kids who are having a middle school experience not unlike what Holling's experience is. Although <laughs> he's not in the class with Mrs. Baker. Minus the <laughs> yellow not. tights with the feathers, you know where. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Greta hasn't said anything yet, though. <laughs> I liked it. It's the only Smith book I've read. I've heard parts of Okay for Now and Pay Attention, Carter Jones, just because everyone else is listening to them, <laughs> which I'm not complaining about. <laughs> so what did you like about it, Greta? I like the Shakespeare and I like the story. Who's your favorite character? Mrs. Baker. Mm. Anna, who's your favorite character? Yeah, I'd probably say Mrs. Baker as well. Marietta? Um, Holling. Mm. Mags? Holling. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, had, you were supposed to do something different. You had, now, we, now we're all matching. Oh, no, can't I say that? <laughs> Does that mean I can't say Holling? <laughs> <laughs> you can say Holling if you oh, want. Oh, okay. I think, well, I, I love Mrs. Baker, but she's, mm, they're, they're parallel, so I was going to say she's not the point, but she is. But she is. But it's yeah. Holling's story, and the point is how he grows with, you know, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Baker's encouragement. So I think Holling would, if I had to pick one, I would say Holling. And see, I, I like Mrs. Baker, because I think that she's growing too. And what she is, and that's what I, I mean by parallel. Right, yeah, because I think she's being stretched. I think Holling is impacting her, maybe not as much, but I think she, he's impacting her very much so. And so I really mm-hmm. like her. 
Okay, so that's why we like, but what about you guys? Why do you, why did you pick Team Holling? Why did you pick Holling? I feel like you can't not love him when you see the whole world through his eyes. Yeah. And and yet you're still surprised when he does certain things. Like I remember the whole the whole thing with his sister when she runs away and when he goes to get her. Mm-hmm. There's just there's so much maturity in that that whole little story there that like the first time you read it you don't expect it of him and you're you're surprised when he handles it the way he does and and so you're already so convinced of his view of the world and you're so much on his side because you're seeing the world through his eyes but you're also surprised the way he might be surprising himself by the way that he's growing I love how you said surprising himself because I think that's very true he doesn't know he has it in him but then when forced to make choices, he ends up making good choices, not even knowing how he got to that point, but knowing it's the right choice to make. Yeah. And I think that's what Mrs. Baker sees in him and what she decides to bring out with Shakespeare specifically because she loves Shakespeare yeah. and and why they're so perfect yeah. for each other. And of course, the first thing he does is memorize the curses. <laughs> because that's what a middle school boy would do you can take this really complex idea teach a kid teach a sixth grade boy Shakespeare but what is he going to do with it he's going to be saying curses into himself in the mirror that's what he's going to (laughs) do Marietta what do you what were you going to say well I was just going to say yes to, to everything Meg said but specifically for me I think what I love most about hauling is his realism, like with the with the Shakespeare curses, but the fact that he can write two essays on Romeo and Juliet, like like for fun because he wants to yeah. to think about his life. I'm not sure I could even do that. <laughs> I, I don't know. I think I would think about doing that. Be like, oh, wouldn't that be a cool person to be? Mm-hmm. You know, to write a couple essays on this Shakespeare play, mm-hmm. contemplating my own life, and then I'd be like, no, I can't. I won't do that. I don't have time or something like that. Um, just the the total, the, the contrast and the juxtaposition, but sort of also the seamless inter intertwining of the fact that he, he will just memorize the curses first, but also that when his sister needs to be gotten across the country, mm-hmm. he can do that mm-hmm. and he will. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet it doesn't make him, I don't know, disjointed or it doesn't feel weird. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Kind of like he memorizes the curses first, but the long speeches later. And so that when the school board comes in, he can recite one of the most moving speeches because he did memorize that too. He just didn't tell us that he did. Well, and when he's memorizing the curses, he's not just memorizing them because they're funny. He's memorizing them to use them. So he's actually, he's actualizing Shakespeare in his life and beginning to think like Shakespeare. You know, they say when you're learning a foreign language and you begin to dream in that language, that's when you know that you've started to unlock it. And I think that's what's happened for Holling is that the curses help him to unlock Shakespeare. And then he just sees how how truly relevant Shakespeare is to everything he's going through. In every situation, there's a play for that. You know, <laughs> there's a character yeah. for that or a play for that. Anna, what about you? Why Mrs. Baker? Well, it, it really is both of them growing together. But really seeing Mrs. Baker kind of learn to open up and let herself learn from the student as well, yes. I thought was very interesting to see play out throughout the book. Yes. So I yes. really loved that. Though 
of course, Italing's story, as you all were saying. So it's really hard to pick, but I found it fascinating to see Mrs. Baker's kind of change in learning to relate to the student. Yeah. So I liked that. And I like that she talked about something that she wasn't prepared to talk about with regard to track, that she'd had this, this for her, scarring experience, and she loves track, but she's forgotten that she loves track, and she's remembering that she loves it because it's exactly what Holling needs right now. He needs to run. Do you know, Mags, does Gary D. Schmidt run? I don't know. I should ask. You should, because Hercules, well, Hercules doesn't really run, but Doug... No, is it Doug? Well, I feel like they all have a sport of some kind. Like with Doug, I would say it's more horseshoes. With um, yeah, but remember, uh, it's Carter. It's obviously yeah, cricket. cricket. I don't know, and they've got the coach who's like, "Come on, you do this!" And oh, also in orbiting Jupiter, they have uh, that's the one you forgot. They climb ropes. Um, and Lucas Sweetek is their um coach, and so of course he's in a wheelchair yelling at them like I can climb better than that and like <laughs> and so that's that's the arc in orbiting Jupiter concerning sports well I think though with Doug he's running like for a reason like like I know that like in in Carter Jones cricket is a motif for the story but Doug is running because he's really running he's running from himself he's running from trauma he's running from mm-hmm. he's needing a vent for his life. And I feel like Mrs. Baker is a little bit like that too, that, that running for her was a release or an outlet. So Greta, why Mrs. Baker for you? Mostly because Holling drives me crazy. I like him, <laughs> but he drives me crazy. He's just ridiculous. <laughs> Does he remind you of a little brother, maybe? Both brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so then he's he's being drawn well. Good. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Anything else you like about Mrs. Baker? I like her because she's creative. Mm. For Holling, she acts, she fills a gap that is empty for him in his life. Just, he doesn't have someone like her. Mm-hmm. And she fills that gap. Yeah, good point. We talk about Holling and Mrs. Baker growing parallel, and they grow together. Mm -hmm. They become Mm -hmm. really good friends. Would she have broken her barrier down so much without her personal tragedy? I guess that's what I'm thinking, is that that comes in with her husband being missing and how emotional that is and how that breaks her down right in front of her class. What do you think that that would have... If that hadn't happened, was there another way to get that relationship as close as it became? I really don't think they would have had the same relationship if both of them hadn't had tragedies in their life happening at the same time. Because of that, they were more willing to be vulnerable with each other. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So I think it really did make a big difference in their relationship. And how sad would it have been if they had missed out on having that relationship with each other? I think both of them are better people because of the other. And so here it was because of tragedy that they were able to get to see each other in that way, which might not have otherwise happened. Which is an awkward position for a teacher. It, it would be very difficult for both of them to go have, go, to have to go on to the next school year 
with that kind of a relationship. Um, okay, mm-hmm. now now how do we act? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is <laughs> for sure. Can I ask a question? Yeah. Or I don't know, I'm not quite sure. It's not totally formulated, maybe a thought and I want to hear other people's thoughts on it. I guess I wanted to ask about Mrs. Baker's Mrs. Baker's intensity and her barriers kind of in contrast to hauling, I guess. I guess the thoughts that I have in my head right now are her, like we talked about her barriers and the way she keeps people out, the way that she scares him at the beginning, but also the way that she can really get things done. Like when she's at, when they're at the stadium and she wants to talk to the boss yeah. um, and they're like, you know, Joe Pepitone says, if you can hit my fastball and we were not even told, like, it's not even described to us like how that looked. It's just like, yeah, she hit the fastball and she went to talk to the boss. Like that's what happened. <laughs> and and we kind of don't need the description because nobody doubted that she would. Right. 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 She said she wants to talk to the boss, so she's going to. <laughs> um and the way that she just sort of makes things happen mm-hmm. when when things just small things fall apart for hauling, but she still like she just comes through and fixes them, you know, whether it's cream puffs or driving him somewhere. It's like, mm-hmm. you know what? It's gonna be like this. Um so that's a strength for her, but also I don't know, also somehow a weakness because, yeah, because she's also the kind of person who scares people and who who doesn't let people in, I guess, as opposed to hauling. So, okay, see, it's not super formed, the question, <laughs> but I wonder what you guys, your thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, he does have to, I mean, when he tells her, like, teacher coaching, he's like, don't cross your arms. It looks like you're going to shoot us. And she's like, that is the point. But then she doesn't right. cross her arms. And she doesn't, like, she kind of makes... It's, it's a little thing, but if you notice it, she doesn't do it. Like, whenever she does it, she thinks about it and uncrosses her arms, like, for the rest of the year. Unless she actually wants to look like she wants to shoot someone. Right. So, he does, I don't know, open her up a little, if that's what you're thinking. And he's he's not intense like she is. No. Like, not, not in a bad way or anything, but he's a lot more chill. And he, I don't know how to describe him as opposed to her. Well, and I wonder about that. I wonder if that intensity of his has been pushed down and buried. I wonder if he does have intensity, but that the home life situation has taught him not to and to hide that even from himself. Because I feel like when he wants to be intense, he can summon it. He can summon the strength to memorize all the lines and be aerial with yellow feathers, you know where. And he can summon the the great intensity needed to defend his sister when she needed it. And I don't feel like those were like outbursts for him. I feel like those come out of a deep well versus another character who might just like do the right thing because it just was emotional at the moment to do. I think for Halling, these are things that are deep inside of him. He just doesn't know how to express them. And Mrs. Baker gives him a way of expressing himself, a way of expressing his intensity in the same way she had to learn to channel and express hers because she's an Olympian. So she's, she is not, (laughs) she's not your cut of the normal cloth kind of person, right? She has to have a powerful intensity and that's what's caused her to be separated from the pack her whole, her whole life really, right? But you also have to give her credit for being an English teacher. She's mm-hmm. got that class to control. And good teachers don't let their hair down in front of an entire class, especially yeah. if you have Doug Swiatek in there. So 
it's totally understandable that she's behaving that way in front of the class most of the time. It's not until it's one-on-one that they're able to break that down because that would be unprofessional as well as maybe something that she maybe has some barriers inside herself that needed broken down. You don't do that in front of a class. Right. So she's not wrong. No. And I, I... (laughs) except for when she rolls her eyes, we never rolled our eyes. (laughs) Well, he he tells her she shouldn't do that either. Yeah. I don't feel like that they're yin and yang. I feel like they're very much the same. Marietta, why do you think he's chill? Maybe because I relate more to Mrs. Baker than I do to Holly. No, you do. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I admire Holling's. I mean, maybe this is a factor of just being a child, Mm. um, but I still admire his sort of matter of fact view of the world. Mm. Um, I know we talked about, you know, his emotions making everything seem big, but it didn't strike me as an emotional book. Like maybe that's true. But it's not like it's not like a swamp, right? Or something. Well, it's not like we're it's, feeling it's kind it, of, it's, and we're not feeling his feelings with him, right? And he's not like describing things in great detail to try to make us feel sad. He's saying things matter of factly, right. which makes it worse. Yes, but he's saying them very matter of factly. And Mrs. Baker strikes me more as the person who, I mean, they both have intensity of feeling, mm-hmm. but she's like. She's such a go-getter, she doesn't know when to stop, maybe. Ah, you know, sure. and that's maybe what makes her an Olympian yeah. and what makes it so that she can get anything done. But I think if you're that kind of person, you also tend to steamroll people. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And Holling doesn't steamroll people. Like, he seems, at least he struck me as, as very sensitive yeah. to what other people need and what they're thinking. And he's not, like, he's not a steamroller. In no way is he a steamroller. That's how he can be some kind of point of unity in his family. Mm. He definitely, he watches a lot. Like when you said he sees what other people need, he, like watching Mrs. Biggio and Mai Tai and like what they're going through and and not, like he's not, he is, I, I guess also on the uh, emotion thing, like he doesn't go over and give her a hug, but he watches and he sees everyone and and he's, yeah, he's very like observant and sensitive in that way. Yeah, and Mrs. Baker, I mean, you wouldn't say she's unobservant and insensitive or something like that. But I, I don't think the words observant and sensitive are the best words to describe Mrs. Baker. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yes, agreed. You know, it just, it strikes me that perhaps the reason why Holling is so observant is because he's had to be. That he has developed this skill as a matter of survival. So he needs to be able to read the scene at home and then adjust his behavior so as to cooperate with whatever is going on at home. Because you say he doesn't go over and give a hug, and maybe he should have. I don't know that he's empathetic so much as he is observant. And with his observance, he's able to modulate, which I think is interesting then that theater is the motif for his uh, book because it's the opportunity to... Like to be on stage and to play well, you have to be able to read the energy of the audience and the other cast members. You know what it's like. It's like all this back and forth. And you have to be able in a in a, just a blink of an eye to take in the scene and know exactly how to respond to it. And I think that he's able to do that. And maybe that's why he loves Shakespeare so much, because it gives him language for the things he's seen 
without it being his own thoughts, he can express somebody else's thoughts and hide behind those. And I find, so I just find that very, very interesting that, that it's Shakespeare, which makes me wonder why baseball is, is Schmidt saying that baseball is also theater? Because it kind of is. Isn't but baseball though it's not as big is still a part of okay for now. I think baseball isn't so much like specifically tailored towards Hauling's story as it is like not in the way cricket is not the way cricket is in Carter Jones or something. Yeah, exactly. It's it just it serves as heroes like they all love it and it's their passion and it makes them so happy because they're middle school boys in the sixties and it's America's sport. And, and they just, I don't know, it's like their, their boyish thing. And so when, when Mrs. Baker announces Mickey Mantle, all the boys are like, Mickey Mantle. And the girls are like, who's Mickey Mantle? And they're like, shut up. Like, don't even. And, and I think that's the, that maybe it's not so much he feels free when he can perform in baseball Mm -hmm. as it is. I don't know. Like he, he introduces the problem of him being a Presbyterian by saying, so that only left Sunday afternoons for full baseball teams. Like it's just what the boys do. And, <laughs> and it's so exciting and special. And I think that's what it does in, a, in the Wednesday Wars at least. Yeah. I still think though, that baseball is about, a, is a lot about theater. Like there's the whole theatrical aspect to how the game of baseball is played. I think there probably is, but I'm not mm. sure that's why it's there. I think it's partly there for the, breaking down of heroes that's true as just part of hauling's introduction to reality except joe pepitone turns out still to be a hero even in okay for now yeah (laughs) you just love him yes and he's at the theater (laughs) oh i see i see what you mean no it just happened to work out that i mean i just saw that connection (laughs) like oh yeah and they meet up with joe pepitone again at the theater I mean, Joe Capitone is a legitimately nice guy. and Sure seems like so. it. <laughs> well, there's some grace in letting one hero survive, but I guess he talks about the gods dying. When the yeah. gods die, they die really hard. You know, the fall is great. Um, to me, that seems to be the biggest reason that they're there is just so that, and it's not that you want all, you know, the iconoclasm of, of this decade or century, Um uh, but that he needs mm. a real picture of the world. Don't right. put people on a pedestal. Yeah, absolutely. Are you saying are you saying it was good? It was good that the gods died? No, I'm saying that what I said was it was good that he still had some heroes left, that that one of the guys was good, but it was part of his maturing that shows him that you can't put those people on a pedestal as though there's they're more special and than other people and are always going to behave the way you think they yeah, should. I guess uh, maybe this is totally wrong, but I kind of want to push back against that. The fact that, that all the gods should die because, okay, so maybe Mickey Mantle wasn't, maybe he just didn't deserve to be a God. Right. Mm. And, and his fall is still hard, mm-hmm. but he wasn't supposed to be a God in the first place. Joe Pepitone was, mm. and like, he can hold that. Like maybe, I don't know, maybe the gods are the ones who can keep their pedestals. Mm. I guess, I don't like the idea that all the gods should die in order for you to be mature. You know, that like one of the marks of being mature is that oh, all the no, gods. No, I don't think dead. I said that. 
no, no, no. I don't think that. I hope I didn't say that. That's not what I meant. But that he he needed to see that just because you put someone on a pedestal doesn't mean that they deserve to be there. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So Joe Pepitone yeah. survives that, <laughs> uh, unless you look at his actual life. <laughs> don't don't tell us. Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> but he was nice to his fans, and that's what the boys see. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Because I, I think everybody needs heroes, but when you worship the wrong person, then eventually that's going to come crashing down and you're going to see reality. So I, that's all I'm saying is that he needed, in seeing the different kinds of heroes, Mickey Mantle's right. the name that people still know. I've never yeah. heard of Joe Pepitone until I read this book. So then you find out that Mickey Mantle, the big name, isn't a very nice guy. But here's these other more than one guy who didn't survive that necessarily who yeah. are actually really decent people. Yeah. Yeah. It's it I guess it's a perspective thing is what I'm trying to say. Not that he needed every god to die because one of them was right. kind of his dad right. and that's not good. Well, or Mrs. Baker. Right. Thinking about like Carter Jones or orbiting Jupiter and do you think that they have the same kind of hero worship in like the modern day books because no. I haven't seen any of it and I thought that's another thing to be said for baseball. Not only does Holly personally, you know, have a, a change of perspective because of, you know, God's dying, but also it, it's kind of like in those days, the entire class, like all the boys worshiped Mickey Mantle and he was their hero and they traded baseball cards and like the boys in orbiting Jupiter don't trade baseball cards and they it's it's not really such a thing anymore even in okay for now there's no baseball cards and that's just one year later you know there yeah. and then for sure in carter jones and hercules there's none of that at all and i do wonder yeah. what that's what that says about our culture and the change in our culture mm -hmm. but i think that this is one of the great tragedies of the last century truly is that i don't care about baseball but I do know that it used to be synonymous with being American is that you cared about baseball and that baseball was a sport that was supposedly populated by real, like by authentic guys who should have had like a high moral character. And it was supposed to be that great American pastime because it was the embodiment of things we value teamwork and competitiveness and being able to shake hands after the game and playing by the rules but playing competitively at the same time and and also we lost all that uh, differences mm -hmm. like tall people short people fast people people with good aim yeah different different like, yeah like a pitcher is nothing like you know your slugger and you're going to have an infielder is different than an outfielder you're just going to have different skill set and that all of that can be celebrated also, baseball was one of the first sports to integrate, and it was one of the first sports to really take women seriously. Like when you think about the women's leagues during the war, it's almost like this is the death of baseball is being memorialized in this book as well. Because when Vietnam kind of the war and the civil rights movement tore America apart, baseball was one of the things that seemed to die. Yeah. This is why Diane says she doesn't want to go back to the 60s. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to go back to middle school either. <laughs> Whatever years they were in. His sister is an interesting storyline. What did you guys think of his sister? 
Oh, I, I want to know if that was one of the places where Mags cried. You said you cried two times when you read no, it? No, I cried, um, let's see. I Actually, yes. I Okay, so the first time I cried was uh, when Danny gets back from being suspended and Mrs. Biggio has made them all Vietnamese fried bananas and she puts the plate in front of my tie and says, I'm so sorry yeah. to her. I, I cried then. And I think the second time, was when Heather got off the bus and yeah. ran he, over and hugged Holland. Yeah, I, I remember crying when he said, what is it? he says, welcome back, Heather? No, she says, Holling, I was so afraid I'd, I wouldn't find you. And he says, I'm right here. I've always been right here. And I always will be. Well, he says, I'm always here, I'm Heather. And then right. you realize her when name you, is Heather. When you figure out her name. I remember, I remember crying at that point. See, that's an interesting thing. You don't know her name until then. And you don't realize... At least I didn't realize I didn't know her name. Right. Yeah. Until he said her name. It's the same thing. And okay, for now, Diane was like, why don't we learn the middle brother's name until like two thirds of the way yeah. through the book? And you don't like you don't care about his name because he, his name is Doug Sweetex brother. To you right. Because you've just read the Wednesday Wars and you don't you don't like know that you don't know his name until you know his name. And, and when you know his name. It's the moment that it means the most, and it's, like, so powerful. That, okay, that's really cool, uh, that idea of names. I don't quite know how to say it. Names being the person. Right. Um, and names being. The embodiment. Like, what, what they mean, mm -hmm. and maybe maybe their potential, or maybe all their suffering, or, like, names encompassing the character, mm -hmm. so yeah. that first you get the character, and then you get the name. As Diane said, they're not really human until they're named. So they're not even human, maybe to the character until the character tells us the name. I think that's true for Doug and probably his sister too. She's just been his big sister. Now she's a person. Yeah, like that, that's her personality to the reader and to him is just my sister. And that Doug Sweetex brother's entire personality is the bully older than Doug. Who's, who's destined for penitentiary. Yeah. You don't know the name until like Holling has learned like to know his sister, like the person behind the facade. So yes. you don't know the name until he knows the person. Oh, I love how you said that, Anna. That's perfect. Yes. That kind of reminds me of our in-person well, 101 Dalmatians book club. So in 101 Dalmatians, in our book club, we discussed the fact that the, to the dogs, it's always the splendid vet or the absolutely simple white mink cloak. Similar to here where it's always Doug Swiatek's brother or my sister. Right. Yeah, defining them rather than knowing them. Good point. I like that. What do you think about the fact that these books, this book and a couple of the others are set in the 60s? And, I mean, he, Gary D. Schmidt isn't that old. So it's not like they were written in the 60s. They were written backwards in time. Why do you think he reached back to that time? to put these stories there? Well, I mean, you write from what you know, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that seemed to be the kind of story that he still had with him. Mm. And there was, like, he he wasn't as far gone as, as Doug, but he, I remember hearing, like, he did struggle in school, mm -hmm. and they, they sorted him into, like, the group of stupid kids. Mm -hmm. They had, like, kids who would learn, so they gave them, like, all the books, and then they had the middle average kids and they had stupid kids. And, and so he, and I think it's probably based on like 
having a teacher who believed in him and having yes all those those things that he said this makes a really great story yeah. and and this relationship between student and teacher at this time when like as you were saying when baseball is coming apart and when America's coming apart and when like our our most recent war and kind of the one that just made people give up yeah and when Bobby Kennedy's getting shot and Martin Luther King's getting shot like all of this happening around the already scarring experience of middle school is just, I don't know, I think a really powerful story. One of the things that's interesting in these books is that Gary D. Schmidt paints really realistic characters. So they have, you know, good parts and bad parts. I think it's interesting how from a middle schooler's perspective, whatever you're reading really plays into what you're thinking about the situations happening around you. Yeah. Like I know thinking back to when I was in middle school and I'm not that far past it, but the things I read then, like I had a really intense connection to like Mm -hmm. the series and stuff that I was reading then. Mm -hmm. And it really formed what I was thinking about what I was doing at the time. Yep. So I think it's interesting that Shakespeare is what's forming Holling's thoughts about what's happening around him. Yeah. So I thought that was very interesting. And healthy, right? Because mm-hmm. if you could have Keeper of the Lost Cities living in you or Shakespeare, which one's going to serve you better? <laughs> <laughs> but for real, this is why it's so important that the books that we are reading are of the best quality because they are taking up residence in our minds and our hearts. But Anna, it sounds like you think that you were more impressionable in middle school than you are now. Is that true? I do think that's true. Yes. Why do you think that is? I think the emotions are just so much more intense. Like my feelings about the characters are just different Mm. than they were like three years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder, too, if it's also that you have developed more powers of discernment, so you're able, better able to separate from the characters. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> what was a series that you read or a book that you read that positively impacted you in middle school? Anna, we'll start with you. Um, I read a lot of stuff in middle school. Yes, Let me think yes, yes, you did. Let me see. <laughs> well... I was mostly reading things like the Ranger's Apprentice, Queen's Thief series, like a lot of stuff like that. Books that Mags told you to read. Basically. (laughs) (laughs) The whole community was reading. (laughs) So (laughs) Mags was very influential in the reading list for many of us for a while there. (laughs) What can I say? (laughs) Except you're welcome. Indeed. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) but then also like um I read David Copperfield Mm -hmm. in seventh grade I didn't read it I listened to it Mm -hmm. but that really had a profound impact on me at the time that is still reading just so we're clear (laughs) that still counts (laughs) yes yay for David Copperfield is David Copperfield one of your favorite Dickens yes me too me too Marietta you then Mags I know what, what grades were middle school. Yeah, what, what grades are middle school? <laughs> Homeschooled over here. So sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Okay, and what age are you yeah. generally when you start sixth grade? It's a good question. Oh, let's go eleven okay. to fourteen. 
2011, I don't know, years, buzzer. Okay, can we get that in years? <laughs> <laughs> Translated, no, no, I remember. I have an answer. Ranger's Apprentice for me. Mm-hmm. I was kind of wondering why that series is so big for me. And I think because of this conversation, I think it might have been because I read it in middle school. Mm, okay. Um, okay. Yes, that's that's really big. And, oh, Betsy Tacey. Yay. Middle school? I think so. Did you read the high school books, the Betsy Tacey high school books in middle yeah. school? I mean, I know you read them, but did you? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. so you don't mean the um, little ones. <laughs> you mean the bigger ones. No, I I don't remember the last time I read the little ones, but I've read the Betsy Tacey high school ones like four times. Yeah, they're so marvelous. But also, I think it was about in middle school that I had read through most of or a lot of the books we had at home. Mm. And so I started going to the library to find books. Yeah. yeah, which was a mistake. Uh, yes. Wings of Fire? No, I think I read Wings of Fire in high school. I, I keep thinking of all you these. You did. I read them in middle school. Yeah, Sorry, so you read Wings of Fire in middle school. I, I keep thinking of all these series that I don't care about that much. Mm-hmm. And it's because I think I read them in high school, like Wings of Fire. Um, oh, I love The Queen's Thief, mm-hmm. but it hasn't impacted me like internally as much as Ranger's Apprentice. I think because I read it in high school. Interesting. Interesting. Um, but I, I remember reading a lot of like stupid fantasy books Mm, yeah didn't we all didn't we all (laughs) i was reading the babysitter's club so and sweet valley twins i you weren't reading the babysitter's club i was reading as well as fantasy books like i got there's a whole genre of like spy novels but they're like teenage girl spy novels (laughs) yep definitely read those (laughs) mags what about you Okay, so I was all ready with my answer, um, which was Redwall, except that I realized I read Redwall in, like, first grade <laughs> to when I was nine. Like, that's when I read all 22 books of Redwall okay. again and again. Yeah. Um, and then listening to what Medieta read in middle school and high school. Yeah, when she was in high school, I was reading the same things, but I was in middle school. Right. So I read... All the junk that she was reading. You know, I read Wings of Fire. I read The Queen's Thief. Brandon Sanderson. I started Brandon Sanderson in middle school. Okay. Um, and I also, I moved, we moved to Green Bay when I was like at the last two years of middle school. Mm-hmm. So whatever we read in those first two years of book club, probably. <laughs> we read all kinds of stuff, like all over the map. We did. Yeah. <laughs> it took a while to really mm-hmm. find our center, but we did do Young Ladies Tea. So, you know, we read Austin. I read Austin mm-hmm. in middle school. Though. Yeah. yeah. I, I read Austin. I read all of Austin my first year of high school. Mm, brilliant. Now, see, Austin lives in our minds and hearts, right, girls? All of us? Yep. Yep. Forever. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Understanding that the purpose of this podcast is to help moms preview the Wednesday Wars and idea have ideas about whether or not they could have a book club with their um, middle school and teenage readers. What would you like people to know about the Wednesday Wars? What did you either really appreciate about it or think is interesting or think would be very helpful for moms to know? I think that it's interesting in that it's it's a book, like a middle school book, mm-hmm. but it has much more growth than a lot of middle school books have. Yeah. So I think it's different in that way and that you're not completely stuck in the middle school mind for the whole book. Like you're going somewhere with it. Mm -hmm. So I think that it sets it apart in that way. 
And I think that's very helpful. Excellent. Yeah, that's one of the things Diane always says, Anna, is that Gary D. Schmidt does a wonderful job of going where the characters are, but he doesn't leave them there. And so I love that you said that. He he really pulls them out of that place. And more importantly, he lets the reader mature with the characters in meaningful ways. Like you, you are a better person when you read this book, I think. Mags? I would just say it's such a timeless, kind of a cliche word, but such a timeless story of boy with his own little middle school problems in the middle of a world with much bigger problems Mm -hmm. and and everything's changing and falling apart Mm -hmm. but he doesn't have to Mm -hmm. like he if he just and this is what mrs baker tells him at the end if he just goes to school and learns all he can and becomes a good and wise man then he can keep going and not only that but he can change the world and and so it's it's not just like I don't know a little research book for what 60s middle school is like it's like anyone in middle school no matter what's going on in their back with their family at the perfect house or what's going on with like their countries at war or their favorite sport is disappearing that they they just have to do little things Mm -hmm. and they just have to go to school and connect with their teacher and read Shakespeare and they can become something great. But they have to read Shakespeare. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Marietta, what about you? I think it's really good for kids to read, for everyone to read, Um, but especially for kids and kids in middle school and especially the kind of kids who would maybe be wandering through the library and pick it up because it shows you like the right way or one of the right ways to deal with hard things that happen in middle school. Um, I mean, I haven't read okay for now, but maybe from what I've heard, okay for now, even more so that, that a lot of the kids who read this probably also can relate to the serious problems that are going on. Like if your sister runs away from home with a guy, that's, that's not a small deal. No, That's kind of a big deal. And if if your parent's marriage is falling apart or if your father doesn't really care about you, like those are, those are kind of big deals. And I think it can be good for kids to read about someone else going through maybe the same things they're going through the right way and finding hope and becoming like watching what it might look like to become a good and wise person out of that sort of beginning. Yeah. Good. Very good. Girls, this has been really fun. Thank you so much for doing what it took to coordinate this so we could have our book club. Yeah, I mean, this is a big deal because Mags and Marietta are in the middle of an international move. They're leaving the country next week and they have coordinated to chat with us. They're not even in their home. (laughs) They're visiting family (laughs) while they get ready to move. So we really appreciate you guys fitting us in in your whirlwind adventure. And Anna, we're so glad that you were here today. You are local to us, thank goodness. And we have the great joy of having Anna in a summer parent teen book club where we are doing the Ransom Trilogy with C.S. Lewis. And by mm-hmm. Anna's request, we're also going to do Frankenstein, I think. Right, Anna? I'm very excited about that. <laughs> Me too. Well, that was her idea. <laughs> Anna and I tend to have the same favorites and we both put Frankenstein at like top of the list. Right, Anna? Yes, I love that book. 
And Greta, it was really, really hard to get you for this podcast. I mean, you know, we live in the same house. <laughs> it was super challenging. Yeah, it was super challenging. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it kind of is to be able to coordinate multiple computers because normally Greta is our producer. Yeah. And today she's here as a participant. Friends, we thank you for listening into this. We have lots more information about the Wednesday Wars coming very, very soon. And so we encourage you to check out the show notes and and pay attention to the other things that are coming out because we're going to be doing book club packets that should be able to make it easier for you to have Wednesday Wars conversations with the young people in your lives. And we are going to talk about Okay for Now at some point. And Diane and I are going to be big girls and we're going to read just like that even though we don't want to, because we know it's going to be so painful. Um, but again, friends, you can read any of these Gary D. Schmidt books completely separate from each other, or you can read them, fitting them together a little bit like a puzzle. And so we encourage you to check out the show notes to get more information about that and check out the books, which you should be able to find on Biblio Guides as well. Friends, thank you so much for listening in. And until next time. 